one of my favorite passages or um approaches to like advent growing up was the seven last words um and i also remember when i first i know i'm sorry my wife corrected me lent uh and i remember when i first started preaching uh that was kind of like always where you would get invited as a young preacher to like a good friday service seven last words uh type thing and i always felt that like they never really got the um they're so powerful and they need more than like a five minute, seven minute sermonette. And even though you tell a preacher to preach for five minutes, it's never that way anyway. But um, they deserve more than that. And so what I wanted to do uh, this year as we uh, prepare for Lent was to do a seven last word series over the course of the next several weeks, as opposed to trying to do them all in one uh, service on Good Friday. And so we're taking a break from Corinthians today, and we will start um, our uh, Lent series called More Than Words. The series will be called More Than Words. And the rationale behind this is that the words that Jesus spoke from the cross were really calling us as believers to action. There was a faithful response uh, that Jesus was giving in each of these words that he was calling his people and his believers to. And so um, I'm really looking forward to the next uh, several weeks. Um, I'm, and I'm really excited today because I get to uh, have my my good friend uh, preach and kick the series off uh, today. Uh, so um, as I like to do when we have uh, people preach to just extend our hands and just uh, say over them, God bless. Reverend Kelly, God bless. Reverend Kelly, God bless. Reverend Kelly. So I'm excited to invite Reverend Kelly Johnson up here as the Lord leads her to share with us this morning. Thank you so much. Good morning. I'm glad to be here. I um I partly uh, volunteered to preach today because the Sanders were moving into their new house this weekend, and it just kind of goes to show where my personal preferences lie, that I was like, a couple weeks ago, I'm like, you know, I just kind of want to help the Sanders out with their move. I could, you know, go lift a bunch of boxes and move a bunch of furniture, or I could offer to preach a sermon. I'll go for the sermon, right? (laughs) I'm just weird like that, though. Um... I am excited to preach today and to get us launched into this this series of more than words, this um, into this season of Lent. And I really like Lent. And there's one reason that's kind of shallow that I like Lent. Um, it's it's kind of a weird word, right? Lent. Well, I learned a few years back that Lent comes from a Germanic word, which means springtime. Yeah. <laughs> so I get really excited when we start talking about Lent. Now, in Spanish, um, Lent uh, is uh, cuaresma, which comes from the word, the, the Spanish word cuarenta, which means 40, which probably makes a little more sense because this is a, a season of 40 days uh, plus some Sundays, uh, counting down, preparing for Easter. Um, but I like that this is that time of year when we can, um, it's not springtime yet, But by the time we get to Easter, by the time we get through Lent, it will be springtime. 
And warmer days are coming. Uh, uh, the ground will get warmer. Um, things will grow. We will see uh, flowers blooming and trees budding. Um, I will be able to cook dinner with my kids playing outside. Anyone with me on that? <laughs> Um, but of course, there's there's a spiritual connection as well, right? Um, there, there's something in each of us that just longs for new life and, and, and yearns for all that springtime represents, right? The renewal of things. And um, we count down to, to Easter as maybe a simple way of, of saying what Lent is. Um, but of course, it's much more than that. It's a, a preparation for Easter, And uh, we can't prepare for Easter without first going to the cross, or through the cross, we might say. And so Lent is a journey with Jesus to the cross. And there's a lot we can learn there at the cross. Now, I tend to be kind of a sunshiny person. I like sunshine. I grew up in Arizona. Um, that's why I get excited about springtime coming. Uh, I like to focus on the positive. I like to think about what's good and happy. Um, but as I've grown in my Christian faith, as I've experienced challenges and hardships in my own life, I've learned that it's not just sunshine that makes things grow. We need to have the clouds that bring the rain. And so if we are going to properly celebrate Easter and all its bright and beautiful joy, uh, we also need to remember the darkness of Jesus' death and the suffering that he went through and the sacrifice, uh, all that he gave up so that we could gain uh, his forgiveness and redemption and new life. And so that's why I love this series um, um, that puts us right at the foot of the cross, um, uh, looking at Jesus on the cross and these seven last phrases, words that he uttered uh, from that place. We have so much to learn from Christ on the cross. And so before we jump in today, uh, would you join me in prayer? God, we thank you for your word and um, for the people of your word, uh, the, the community that you've called together as your church. And uh, Lord, I pray that we would learn something at the foot of the cross today, that as we look at Jesus, um, you would make him real to us and that his call on our lives would um, come through loud and clear. We give you this time, Lord, and we open ourselves to what you have to say and to teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. So our first word, as you heard Samantha read this morning, comes from Luke chapter 23, and in verse 34, this first word from Jesus on the cross is a prayer. It's a prayer. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Now, Luke is very sparse with the details of of the actual crucifixion. Uh, We like to talk about all the the goriness and the suffering of Christ, but really Luke just says, when they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him. And it was from that place, hanging between two criminals, looking like a criminal himself, that Jesus calls out to God a prayer, asking that God forgive Forgive the soldiers who just drove nails through his wrists. The guards who mocked him and beat him. Forgive 
the Jewish leaders who, who called out for his arrest. They were so confused about God's will and God's way that they labeled him a criminal. Forgive the mob of people who were so filled with hate that they demanded that Jesus, an innocent man, be crucified instead of Barabbas, a convicted murderer. Jesus cried out from the cross to forgive Pilate, that Roman governor who didn't have the courage to use his power to stop what he knew was wrong. Forgive Herod Antipas, the ruler who was amused by Jesus' miracles, but didn't really care whether he lived or died. Jesus called out from the cross that God forgive Judas, that friend who had journeyed with Jesus and yet turned his back on him, betrayed him, and handed him over to the authorities. Jesus prays a prayer of forgiveness for Peter, one of his closest friends, most devoted disciples, who denied him three times in those final moments. As Jesus was racked with pain and death grew near, he used some of his final breaths to pray for forgiveness. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. These are incredible words for such an intense moment. And you have to remember that in this moment, Jesus' breaths were counted, right? I mean, we, we learn from historians. Again, Luke doesn't tell us much, but, but people, if you do your studies, you can read about the process of crucifixion. And hanging on a cross puts uh, tons of pressure on someone's lungs, making it very hard to breathe and very, very hard to speak. That's why we only have seven last words, right? And yet Jesus uses his last ounce of energy to speak these words, Father, forgive. Just to uh, give you an opportunity to kind of enter into the story a little bit, I want you to take a deep breath and to hold it for maybe as long as you can. I just want you to feel a little breathless. Okay? Hold it as long as you can and then let it out and try to say something to the person next to you. Maybe turn to somebody next to you and say, let's pray. Okay, so hold that breath for as long as you can. Maybe count to ten and then turn to somebody next to you and say, let's pray. (laughs) Do you feel feel the breathlessness? Maybe as I keep preaching, you could just take some deep breaths and just see how that feels. And just think about The power of Jesus' words. He's got barely any air left. And he speaks these words, which are so much more than words, right? As this uh, sermon series has been titled. These are so much more than words. They are an outpouring of Jesus' heart. His pure, undivided heart that beat to preach the good news of the gospel for all people. And they should come as no surprise to us if we've actually read the teachings of Jesus who said, and I've got this on a slide, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who hurt you. Jesus is the real deal. He wouldn't call his followers to do something that he himself wouldn't do. 
And he prays, Father, forgive them, these ones who are hurting me, these ones who have wronged me, who have persecuted me, who have hated me. They do not know what they are doing. And with these words that are more than words, we are called by Jesus to a better way when we are wronged, when we are threatened, when we feel hurt. Jesus calls us to live lives of grace, of love, and forgiveness. And so with the time that I have left, I want to look at four actions and practices that I believe Jesus calls us to in these words from Luke 23, 34. And the first one is to pray. The first one is prayer. I mean, it's amazing to me that in this intense moment of pain and anguish, the first thing that Jesus does is pray. Even if we set aside the incredible words that he prayed, isn't it amazing that the first place he turned was to God in prayer? Now, I want us to think about the possibility, the very real possibility, that in this moment, Jesus felt angry, okay? He was hurting. He felt disappointed. That would be very natural at this moment. I recently heard someone say that anger is a moral response. Okay, when we are wronged or we become aware of some injustice, anger can be a very appropriate moral response. But where does Jesus go with that anger? Again, maybe he wasn't angry. I don't know. (laughs) But let's imagine he was. Where does he go with what he's experiencing? Rather than speaking out curses on his accusers and abusers, he calls out to God. He prays. And so, friends, when we deal with difficulties in our lives, how often do we first go to God in prayer as our first resort? If you're like me, when you're in a stressful moment, thinking of prayer comes like step number six or seven or tomorrow or next week, right? Like, oh yeah, I should probably pray about this. Or when we read uh, the news or, or hear the news of some new tragedy, some heartbreaking event that has happened, when is it that we first pray to God about that thing? We might feel anger, which is okay, but do we take that anger to God in prayer? When we look at Jesus on the cross, when we learn from Jesus on the cross, we see that he turned to God and he prayed for a better way. We need to start with prayer. Now, a few months back, kind of over, um, I don't know, the fall and and, uh, winter, oh, there's my picture of Jesus on the cross. (laughs) Um, uh, Many of us here at Neighbor um, Covenant Uh, we were starting to feel overwhelmed or continuing to feel overwhelmed and burdened by just kind of a piling up of racist incidents that were happening in our community and especially in our schools. And now there's a lot that we can do, right, to confront racism in our community. There's conversations, there's education, there's practices of solidarity. There's so much that we can and should do to dismantle racism in our community. But we can't neglect to pray right? And so uh, Pastor X called us to that. And actually one Sunday, I I have another picture in a second, but um, one Sunday he brought all our kids up here up front. Do you guys remember that? We brought all our students up here up front. We prayed for them. 
that they would know their dignity and worth in the eyes of God. And that when they go to school each day, they would value the dignity and worth of each person they meet. That they would stand up for what is right and stand against prejudice and unkind words that tear people down. We prayed for the safety and flourishing of every student in our community and that we would be a part of making that happen. So a few weeks later, this is what this picture is from, a group of us continued that effort of prayer, and we actually went around to seven different schools um, in Naperville, Aurora, Plainfield, um, high schools, and we prayed, we continued to pray um, for the schools in our community, for the students, for the faculty, the staff, the administrators, the families that send their students to those schools. And as we were praying that afternoon, I found myself feeling a greater love for the students that we were praying for. I found myself believing more strongly in the difference that the gospel of Jesus Christ makes in our world and in those specific places. I found myself wanting to invest more fully here in this place that we might be a different kind of place where we use words to build up and to speak value and love to each person who walks in here. Things happen when we pray, right? Prayer may start with words, it may look like words, but it is more than words. Prayer connects us to the heart of God, even in the face of huge challenges. So when we face hardships, when we've been hurt, when we look at injustice in our world, number one, Let's be like Christ on the cross and pray. Second, let's tell better stories. I stole this line from somebody, and I'll give her credit in a moment. But the second thing I think Jesus calls us to with these uh, words from the cross is, is to tell better stories. What I mean is we need to remember that there's always a bigger picture There's always things we don't know and things we cannot understand about what motivates somebody to do us wrong or to commit an injustice. Jesus prays to God that his many accusers and abusers would be forgiven, and he adds those incredible words of grace, for they know not what they do. They do not know what they are doing. Why did the Jewish leaders want Jesus killed? So far as I can tell, they felt threatened. They were afraid. Things were changing. Power was being taken from them. The ground was shifting under their feet, and they grasped for what they could to stop it from happening. Who knows why anyone does harm to another person? Who knows why anyone chooses to speak an unkind word or takes what is not theirs or breaks a promise? I mean, there's a million reasons, right? But if we're honest, usually it's because that person just doesn't know any better. Or they're taking the, the pain or the hurt or the broken promises that they've experienced and then just passing it on to the next person. You've all heard the phrase, hurt people hurt people, right? Yeah. So I recently read a book, actually our MOPS group, our Mothers of Preschoolers group, attempted to have a book club last summer, and we tried to, um, in our busy lives, read this book together, Um, and I've got it, it's called Shalom Sisters, it's kind of written for women, but uh, it's got a lot of good wisdom in it, written by um, Oshita Moore, and she's a pastor, 
um, at a mega church in Minneapolis, but also a partner to her husband, who's a covenant church planter in Minneapolis. And she's also a really great writer, I think. And one of the things I really appreciated about that she wrote about in her book is this idea of telling better stories. Um, she talks about how her family has a practice um, of be, trying to be more peaceful. That word shalom it means peace, um, seeking peace. That when somebody annoys them or does them wrong, um, they try to give a compassionate backstory to help them forgive. So she talks about how they kind of make a game out of this, actually, in their family. Um, imagining what kind of bad day somebody must have had to do the hurting that they did. Maybe they had a flat tire on their way to work, and then when they got there, their perfectly organized desk was all messed up by their boss. And then when they went to lunch, their tuna sandwich was soggy, and so on and so forth. So perhaps you could play this game with your families later today. Maybe you're already thinking of someone's bad behavior that you could explain away with some entertaining story. But I'd like to read this quote for you. Um, Telling better stories more rights is about asking the Holy Spirit to empower us with the same forgiveness that Jesus displayed on the cross. It means asking for eyes to see the fear behind the violence, the sadness behind the anger, the person behind the behavior. Now, of course, trusting God that there's a bigger picture and telling better stories does not mean staying in an abusive relationship. It does not mean that we necessarily condone evil behavior, okay? You can have grace for someone who hurts you but still need to get away from them. But if we acknowledge that there is always um, a bigger picture, there's always a story that we don't know, it makes forgiveness a little bit easier, right? God will work out his plan to make things right in this world. We believe that. And Jesus on the cross is the place that that begins, right? Let us remember that Jesus died for my sins, but he also died for the sins of the person who hurt me, right? Yeah, there's always another story. So let us tell better stories. Third, quite simply... Be a forgiver. Jesus calls us to be forgivers. People who extend forgiveness, be it through prayer, be it through a conversation, be it through steps of reconciliation. Now, forgiveness can be big and it can be small. (laughs) I read some stories this week about big forgiveness, like a mother forgiving and even befriending the man who murdered her son a political prisoner forgiving the man who interrogated him and tortured him. A girl forgiving her mother for abandoning her and turning to a life of drugs instead of caring for her daughter. Forgiveness can be big. There's a lot of anger and hate in this world, but you don't have to look far to find stories of big forgiveness. And if you find that encouraging, um, I recommend that you go look for them. I came across a website this week called Forgiveness Project, um, and it was started by a journalist who wanted to collect stories of forgiveness. And um, there's a lot of amazing, amazing stories there. 
But forgiveness can also be small. I mean, we can't get through most days without a hundred little acts of forgiveness, right? My husband stepped on my toe. A driver cut me off. My child disrespected me. My coworker of three years forgot my name. My friend never responded to my text. If we're going to survive in this world, we need to practice forgiveness in the little moments as well as the large ones. Forgiveness can be big, it can be small, but it is never weak. There is incredible power and strength in forgiveness. And we see that in Christ on the cross. I mean, it's, it doesn't make sense. It's foolishness, like we've been talking about in Corinthians over these past few weeks. It is foolishness, and yet we look at Christ on the cross and we see there is strength in the forgiveness that he offers. In my studies this week, I found myself returning a few different times to Archbishop Desmond Tutu, um, the pastor, theologian, and incredible leader um, in the area of forgiveness and reconciliation. When his country of South Africa brought an end to the injustice of apartheid, um, he was one of the main architects in building that road to reconciliation. And forgiveness was one of the most important tools Um, that he and his co-laborers had. And he has written a book with his daughter um, called The Book of Forgiving. He's written many, many wise things about forgiving, um, but I found some helpful um, words in this book. Um, Not so much about the the huge, well, about any kind of forgiveness in this particular book. Not just the big... um, uh, um, people groups and, you know, national politics kind of forgiveness, but even the the one-on-one kind of forgiveness that we need. But I wanted to read this quote to you, and I think we can put it up on the screen. He writes, Without forgiveness, we remain tethered to the person who harmed us. We are bound with the chains of bitterness, tied together, trapped. Until we can forgive the person who harmed us, that person will hold the keys to our happiness. That person will be our jailer. When we forgive, we take back control of our own fate and feelings. We become our own liberators. We don't forgive to help the other person. We don't forgive for others. We forgive for ourselves. Forgiveness, in other words, is the best form of self-interest. Now, I think that forgiveness can help others. (laughs) I think it's one of the main tools that God changes the world but it's even good for us. There's even scientific studies that show that it's healthy for you to forgive. And likewise, to uh, store up anger and bitterness is physically bad for you. (laughs) Physically bad for you. So forgiveness, it can be big. It can be small. It can come in one conversation or it can happen in pieces, one step at a time. Sometimes forgiveness happens right away. Sometimes we need some time to be ready to forgive. We seek to follow Jesus, but we're still human. (laughs) So we would do well, I think, to think of forgiveness as a practice. A practice, not a one-time, here's a big thing that happened and I'm going to forgive that person, but an everyday, throughout the day, practice that we do. After all, Jesus called us to pray regularly. Forgive us our sins 
as we forgive those who sin against us. So let's be forgivers. Finally, fourth, let's live forgiven. Okay, Jesus didn't need this, right? <laughs> but, um, but he calls us to live forgiven. Because, you know, we can think about Christ on the cross and we can think about all those mean people around him who put him on the cross and who falsely accused him and who put nails through his hands. But he was on the cross for our sins. We put him there too. And before we even knew to confess our sins, before we even knew what repentance was, Jesus was pouring out his life for us and praying for us. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. So to let us live forgiven. To live forgiven, I think, means to live humbly, with gratitude. We don't hold on too tightly to what we have because we know it's all a gift. And we can give forgiveness to others because we know that we ourselves have received it. Jesus said to his disciples, freely you've received, now freely give. So, Christ has a lot to teach us on the cross. Today, I offer these four things. To pray, to tell better stories, to be forgivers, and to live forgiven. So I want to close with this question. When you look at the injustices around you, or you think about the hurt in your own life, where are you spending your energy? Think about that breathless feeling of Jesus. Are you spending your energy, your breaths, on anger and bitterness and seeking to right the wrongs in your own messed up way? Or are you spending your energy on love and forgiveness, the better way that Jesus calls us to. We can't do it without his help, but may we use our energy and our breath to be forgivers. Let's pray. Jesus, we come to you humbly. We confess that each of us has hurt someone else. That we've been unfaithful. That we've told lies. (laughs) That we haven't honored you in all that we do. And so we say we're sorry. We also come to you with our own hurt and pain. And we ask for your help We call out to you. We turn to you, God. We know that there's so much that we can't understand, and we pray that you would help us to live as people of forgiveness. I pray for my brothers and sisters here in this room that you would unite us with your Son on the cross, humble, broken, and yet so powerful. May this be a community of people who, are, who live forgiven and seek to forgive, who seek to walk in the way of Jesus. May we show love and grace as we head into this day and this week. In Jesus' name, amen.